Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 119 of the SCO Show. Proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Thursday, July 10th, 2020. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you're all staying safe. Loaded show for you today. We're going to do some NFC North metrics that matter. We're going to talk at the very end a teensy tiny bit about something that absolutely none of you will care about, but that's a Scott Fishbowl. Because as I've often said, tapping into fantasy football, particularly at this point in the calendar year, is a nice little window into how various minds across the fantasy industry are thinking about players and teams and schemes and things like that. And the Scott Fishbowl, Scott Fishbowl 10 SFBX is underway right now. My draft is looped back into the seventh round. So I, I just wanted to I'll touch on that a little bit later. Of course, we've got some massive, massive, massive contract news to do. So we'll get into that. But first, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Check out the work. Easiest way to do that. The Bird app at Mark Schofield on the Twitter machine. Follow along the hijinks there, if you will. Also, check out the work of places like Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and of course, right here at Pat's Pulpit. And of course, Touchdown Wire, part of the USA Today family of websites. Covering the NFL along with the one and only Doug Farrar. And so, there's a lot of places to find me. But let's start here. Obviously, before we get to the massive contract news of the week, some big news came out on Wednesday regarding new Patriots quarterback Cam Newton. And he will be wearing number one. I know a lot of you, maybe some of you, maybe a couple of you, are members of what we like to call numbers Twitter. There are legitimately people that believe that the aesthetics of a player's number gives great window into whether they will be successful or not. Now, if you are one of those people, the idea that Cam Newton's wearing number one, maybe is a good thing. Maybe it's not. But if you don't think I'm currently shopping an old school red Pats Patriot jersey with Newton and the number one on it, you got another thing coming. Because I've got one in the cart right now. I'm just waiting to pull the trigger on it. So that's the Cam Newton news. Now the massive contract news. Contract news that shook the football world. Contract news that has shifted the paradigm, or as some have said, completed the shift into the paradigm, and that is, of course, Rex Burkhead. Rex Burkhead, Patriots running back, viewed by many as perhaps a surprise cut. We often see a surprise cut from the hoodie. Right around the end of training camp, make some cap space. Usually he does it before the end of training camp to give the player time to catch on with another team and get a preseason game in. But no. Rex Burkhead restructures his contract. His base salary drops from $2.5 million to $1.05 million with a $500,000 signing bonus. He'll have $400,000 of roster bonuses available, which is down from the five hundred dollars he could have made under his original deal. The move clears just over $981,000 in cap space for New England, giving them a little bit of breathing room 
as we all know, thanks to our great friend Miguel Benzon at Pat's Cap on Twitter. You need operational costs throughout the season. Signing players to practice squads, dealing with injuries, paying out bonuses and things like that. So you need cap room. You can't go into the season with yourself up against it. So this is obviously a move that signals that Burkhead's status on this team is probably safe. And that's not a surprise in my mind. If you thought about, as we all have over the past couple of weeks, what Cam Newton might mean schematically for the Patriots, outside zone, wide zone is probably a big part of it. And Burkhead and James White might have a bit of a leg up over Sonny Michelle in that aspect. Why? Sonny Michelle seemed more comfortable A, running gap power, and B, running gap power behind James Devlin. It seemed like Michelle struggled with his comfort level when Devlin went down. And for whatever reason, he did seem more comfortable running those designs rather than outside zone, wide zone designs. Whereas Burkhead and White seem more comfortable on those. So if they are going to move to more of a wide zone team, there you go. Now, of course, that wasn't really... The big contract news of the week. The big contract news of the week. The the contract that legitimately caused me to write that, yes, the paradigm shift is complete, was the Mahomes deal. And it, it broke that it was a 10-year deal, and the numbers finally came out. Max value of it. Over $500,000 over the life of the deal. Now, what it really is, it's it's a 10-year extension. He still has two years left on his rookie deal. So the guy that just signed a contract with a max value of over half a billion dollars, getting us closer and closer to the day we actually see a Trace Comas deal. That's right, a little Silicon Valley reference. The guy is still making a base salary of eight hundred and twenty-five thousand in twenty twenty, and nine hundred and ninety thousand in twenty twenty-one. Then obviously it starts to escalate. Base salary of one point five in twenty-two, five point five in twenty-three, two point five, with a thirty-four point nine million dollar roster bonus in twenty-four. That gets you to a cash number of thirty-seven point nine five million in twenty-four. The biggest year on this deal looks to be 27, where he has a base salary of $10 million, a roster bonus of $49.4 million, workout bonus of just over $500,000, getting to do the cash outlay of $59.9 million for the 2027 season. Now, obviously, everybody, myself included, raced to the keyboard to write, is Mahomes worth this deal? And the conclusion that many, myself included, came with was yes. What were the Kansas City Chiefs going to do? Say no? And if you think about it, in a strange way, this might end up being cheap. And they might have been, as an organization, extremely smart by getting ahead of this. Why? Dak Prescott drafted a year ahead of him. Two years ahead of him. A year ahead of him. Yes, a year ahead of him. Time's getting away from everybody right now. He's out there saying, you know, he's looking for a contract in the $40 million range per year, right? 
if the Cowboys and Dak come in, let's say two weeks ago with a five year, do the math, right? A five-year deal with a max value pushing, say, $210 million over the life of it. So it's getting you into that 40 and change per year range. If you're Mahomes, what do you tell the Chiefs if you see that done? Dak Prescott just got 40 and change million per. How much more do you think I'm worth? The guy that's brought you an MVP and a Super Bowl in two years as a starter. The Chiefs might have had to put more money in Mahomes' pocket. Same thing with Watson. If Watson gets a new deal. So, in a way, the Chiefs might have been smart here by doing it early. And yes, it sets the market now. But you've got Prescott, Watson... Lamar in a year. Like, if Lamar and the Ravens go on to win a Super Bowl, what's Lamar going to get? So I think, A, the guy's worth it, and B, the Chiefs a year from now might look smart by getting ahead of us. And you want to talk about sort of quarterbacks that now look cheap? I mean, when Wentz signed his deal, you know, sort of the conventional wisdom on it was he gave up a little, perhaps because of the injury stuff, and the Eagles paid... Maybe a little bit less than they might have had to. His 32 per looks almost quaint by comparison. And Stafford, who was one of the original market setters back in the day, 27 million per also looked quaint by comparison. So it's interesting to see how the numbers changed almost overnight. The, with the quarterback landscape, and I don't think we're done. So that's a thought on the contract news of the week. Up next, some NFC North metrics that matter. That's ahead here on episode 119 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now in episode 119 of The Sco Show. Ed, continuing the summer series on metrics that matter. We'll work our way through the NFC North today. Kicking it off with the Chicago Bears, and... It's a no-brainer here, right? Like, there's only one real thing that matters for the Bears in 2020, and it's an improved quarterback play. Because Trubitsky was bad last year. Like, no matter how you look at it, Trubisky was bad. Adjusted net yards per attempt of 5.04, 30th in the league among qualified passers ahead of only Mason Rudolph, Kyle Allen, and Dwayne Haskins. His NFL passer rating of 83.0 on the season, 28th in the league, ahead of only Rudolph, Allen, Baker Mayfield, and Andy Dalton. His adjusted completion percentage of 55% when pressured, lowest recorded by Pro Football Focus behind every other qualified passer in the league. He even had an, a, a, a completion percentage of 63.2, which was lower than his expected completion percentage of 64.2. Which seems like nothing, but he's a guy running a West Coast offense where you expect an almost unnaturally inflated completion percentage. And so, what do the Bears do? They have the panic trade, in a sense, for Nick Foles. 
the over-under on Foles starting, I'd say three and a half games is the over-under. I might hammer the under. But they need better quarterback play because this is a team that that was built to compete. It's a team that built a great defense and they've sort of wasted it. And can they fix things in time? This is a team that was still, you know, they were number one in defensive DVOA in 2018. They slipped to number eight. And they've had some more losses on the defensive side of the ball. They might still be a top 12 team in defensive DVOA. But the expectation was in Chicago, you could almost see the plan, and it's working in a sense, that they were going to have a great defense around Trubisky early in his career. And as they had to sort of make moves and you'd see some regression on the defensive side of the ball, some attrition on the defensive side of the ball, Trubisky would get better. And so as the defense starts to slip, his improvement sort of even things out and they're still as competitive as they were. That hasn't happened. And so now they have to figure out the quarterback position. They have to figure out fast. So what are we watching for the Chicago Bears this year? Improved quarterback play, period. Up next, the Detroit Lions, who... They still have some questions. But the big question that I'm going to be watching is how well can they protect Matthew Stafford in 2020? And you might think it's because, well, Stafford's been battling injuries. He's been battling, you know, being in and out of the lineup. He's he's good when he's healthy, but the back injuries, they're adding up. It's more than that. And yes, Stafford missing time was... A downfall for Detroit last year. They went 0-8 after he went down. But he started extremely well. They were 3-4-1 over those first eight games, those eight games that he played. And during those eight games, he completed 64.3% of his passes for 2,499 yards, 19 touchdowns, just five interceptions. He had a quarterback rate and an NFL rating of 106, an adjusted yards per attempt of 9.12, both very good numbers. And over that eight-game stretch, the Lions averaged 55 point, 55, 25.5 points per game. Then he was put on ice over the remaining eight games of the season. Under Jeff Driscoll, David Blau, the Lions often struggled. They lost all eight games, and they averaged just 17 points per game. You're talking about more than a touchdown drop-off with Stafford out of the lineup. It's hard to win games. So protecting them matters, and they've added some guys to the offensive line. But here's another reason why why it matters. When he's pressured, he struggles. He posted an adjusted completion percentage of 56.5% last year when pressured, which was 34th in the league behind such luminous quarterbacks as Kyle Allen, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Jacoby Brissett. And this is not a 2019 issue. In 2018, he had a pressured adjusted completion percentage of 64.8, placing him 22nd in the league in 2017. That adjusted completion percentage when pressured was 63.5, 21st in the league. So they need to protect him, not just because of his health, 
but because he struggles when pressured. So that's what we'll watch him with the Detroit Lions. With the Green Bay Packers, play action. And Matt LaFleur indicated as much during and after the draft. Put Jordan Love aside for a second. We're talking A.J. Dillon. We're talking Josh DeGuara. What did he talk about? Matt LaFleur talked about building a 49ers type of offense. He said that, look, we will try and emulate some of that stuff in terms of how the 49ers use Kyle Juszczyk with respect to the Josh DeGuara pick. They want to be an offense thrown out of 21 using play action. And this is where we could see some of that start last year. In 2018, the Packers were awful using play action. They only used it on 20% of their offensive plays, which was only good for 20th in the league. But in terms of a passing DVOA, when they didn't use play action, just straight dropbacks, they had a passing DVOA of 27.6, sixth best in the league in 2018. When they used play action, their passing DVOA plummeted to just 2.7%, ranked 25th in the league. That difference of minus 22.6 was the 29th worst in the league. With respect to just Rodgers, his completion percentage actually fell when using play action. His yards per attempt fell when using play action. And in fact, the dip in completion percentage of 1.1% was sixth most in the league. The drop-off in yards per attempt tied him for last in the league with Mitchell Trubisky. And in 2018, those two NFC North passers, Rodgers and Trubisky, were the only quarterbacks to see a drop in yards per attempt when moving from a traditional drop-back to a play-action concept. And if you're in a category where the only other member is Mitchell Trubisky, yeah. But Rodgers, under the floor last year, got better on play-action. In 2019, his completion percentage was 5% better on play-action plays as opposed to traditional dropbacks, placing him 10th in the league. His yards per attempt was an increase of 0.4 yards on play-action plays. Not huge, but an improvement. And I'm going to be watching to see if they take that next step as an offense and the play-action numbers jump as a result. The final thing to talk about here in metrics and matter in NFC North is Kirk Cousins. And here's what I got to say about Kirk Cousins. Is he actually good? Like, are we at a point where we're saying Kirk Cousins is good? This time last year, I wrote a piece over the RSP, Matt Waldman's site, talking about Cousins, Baker versus Chef, and all that stuff. And the argument was Cousins was the guy you win with, not because of, and all this stuff. But then you start digging into the numbers. We talked about adjusting completion percentage when pressured, right? Cousins, last year, when pressured. Completed 75 of 143 passes for 882 yards, seven touchdowns, just one pick. That's an NFL passer rating of 84.9, sixth best in the league, and an adjusted completion percentage of 73%, third best in the league, which is not what you expect when you consider a guy a baker and not a chef. I think there's an argument to be made 
that Cousins is a lot better than people give him credit for. Now, they, they certainly rely on play action and things like that. But Cousins and his ability to play when pressured really stood out to me. He seems to be getting better in that area. And conventional wisdom on Cousins is he doesn't come up with big moments. Playoff games, primetime games, things like that. So I want to see if he can take the next step on pressure. What do I mean by that? The pressure numbers overall were great. But then they played the 49ers. And the 49ers pressured Kirk Cousins 17 times on 35 dropbacks. And the Vikings had a net minus of five yards of those on those plays. If he makes that next leap and does better under pressure in moments like that, then yeah, Kirk Cousins is good. Let's close it out. Just a couple of words on the Scott Fishbowl. Um, I am midway through my draft right now. I am almost on the clock here in the eighth round. Here is my roster to date. I was picking out of the seventh spot. And for those that don't know the rules, you get there's a tight end premium where tight ends get more points. Um, this year, there's a completion percentage premium for quarterbacks. You know, if you hit like 66%, you get a bonus on the year. 70%. I don't know if it's year. It's got to be by weeks. So there's, there's a lot of nuanced scoring to it. But tight ends and quarterbacks get overvalued and it's in a sense a super flex league because you can you can start two quarterbacks um so you can treat it like a super flex league if you want as i said i was picking in the seventh hole which is basically on the fringe of what everybody considers to be the top seven right in some order christian mccaffrey patrick mahomes lamar jackson saquon barkley ezekiel elliott alvin kamara those were the top six in order so i want travis kelsey to get that tight end premium taking the first tight end then I came back, Russell Wilson, in the uh, the fifth spot, actually the sixth spot in the second round. Then back in the third, DeAndre Hopkins, Mark Ingram, Joe Burrow, Adam Thielen, A.J. Green. That's my roster to this point. In my division, I am the only player at this point with just one running back. Most teams have three. Some have four. I'm going running back, seeking late here. And in a way, that's going to pan out for me because I'm on the clock here in like two picks and I'm probably going to pull off Ronald Jones, which I'm excited about because um, I think he's going to play a big role with the Tampa Bay offense and he looked better down the stretch last year. I think he's finally piecing it together. And if I can get Ronald Jones in the eighth round, I'm I'm happy because I get Mark Ingram and Ronald Jones, two running backs. And I've got three really good receivers and I can go value hunting late. And I've got my two QBs expecting Joe Burrow. So, interesting. Scott Fishbowl, always fascinating. Picks that have sort of jumped out to me. Antonio Brown won in the sixth round. People expect him to come back. Rob Gronkowski has not yet come off the board. Now, there have only been seven tight ends drafted. I'd expect Gronk to come off next, but yeah. Anyway, the Scott Fishbowl, it's fascinating. You've probably seen people tweeting about it. It raises a ton of money uh, for charity, so it's a great event, and I just wanted to chime in on a couple of things there. Um, that will do it for today. I'll be back next week 
probably not two shows, probably just the one for a week or two more until we get actual training camp stuff to talk about. Then we'll make the shift back. Until then, friends, stay safe. You know the drill. Wash the hands. Check those neighbors. Take care of yourselves and your loved ones. And when you're washing those hands, sit along and bless those Patriots raids down in Foxborough.